Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire Holtz, and on today's episode, we are joined by Jesse Diggins. Hi, Jesse. Hi. For those of you that don't know, Jesse Diggins is an Olympic athlete and gold medalist in cross-country skiing, and she's won numerous other medals and honors at various championships around the world. She skis professionally and has found success not only in her career, but also in advocacy work. In high school, Jessie suffered from an eating disorder called bulimia, and she ultimately found recovery at the EMILY program. Just last year, Jessie partnered with us at the EMILY program to share her story, spread awareness about eating disorders, and encourage others to seek help. Before we dive into all of this amazing work that Jessie's doing now, I want to go back and start at the beginning of her story. Jessie, can you tell us what it was like growing up in Minnesota? Um, it was awesome. I grew up in a really um, active, outdoorsy family, and so we were always going camping or going hiking or, you know, canoeing in the St. Croix River. Um, so I grew up with this awesome appreciation for being outdoors and loving all the different seasons. So I'd help my mom garden in the spring and help rake up the leaves in the fall, and then in the winter we might go you know, sledding down the driveway or um, skiing as a family. Um, And particularly with cross-country skiing, um, my parents just loved it because it's this beautiful, graceful sport where you're outside on the trails. And it's this really cool way to have this fun social sport where you get to enjoy the winter that Minnesota is known for. Um, so since I was a baby, they would just put me in their backpack and keep going out on their ski dates every weekend. And so I grew up thinking like cross country skiing is where it's at. This is so cool. This is what I want to be doing. Um, and so of course I started with the Minnesota Youth Ski League, um, like playing tag and playing like soccer on my skis. And then I started doing like citizens races. And then when I joined the Stillwater High School team um, in seventh grade, that's when I started to get more competitive with it and realizing like, oh, wow, like you can train for this sport and, and really like set a training plan and set goals and get better and faster and race relays with your team. And that's when I started to kind of go, oh, this is really cool. Like I, I think I want to do this my whole life. And that's sort of when it gradually started going up one level to the next. So you were on the high school team when you were in seventh grade? Yeah, well, it's so that's kind of confusing. But um, (laughs) seventh through 12th grade is all combined into one team, which is really, really fun. Because, you know, your seventh grade, you look up to the seniors, you're like, Oh, my gosh, they're so cool. They're so fast. Like, I want to be like them. And you get the chance to watch them skiing. And you get to, you know, see you know, the, the next step to becoming faster and stronger and better. And so um, altogether, there's around 135 teenagers on this team, men and women, and everyone trains together. And it was this amazing, fun culture. I cannot speak highly enough of how fun it was to be on that team and be a part of it and felt like I was just part of this awesome family that was bigger than myself. And I have nothing but positive memories of just being part of that team. Um, And so it was so fun because seventh through 12th grade, you start to make some incredible friendships um, growing up and going through high school with this group of people. 
was it your senior year that you started to have disordered eating behaviors? Yeah. And it's sort of, what was really interesting for me was that, you know, I was in an ideal position. You know, I had incredible teammates who loved me for who I was and supported me. I had a loving, supportive family. Again, they were just loving me for who I was. And I had these amazing role models in my life. Um, my high school coach, Chris Hansen, is still one of my very close friends today. And she always modeled, you know, like, let's have the goal be to go for a personal best and to be strong and to be healthy and to love the sport um, for the sake of loving the sport, not to burn out. And even surrounded by all of this strong, positive, wonderful messages, I still developed an eating disorder. But I'm pretty sure that without it, it would have set in so early into my life. And I was able to make it almost entirely through my high school career without this self-doubt. And I feel so grateful for that. Um, But it just sort of proves that, you know, like words do matter. And the fact that I had such strong, positive words surrounding me all the time, it sort of held off this eating disorder much longer. And I was able to ask for help sooner. Um, But it still happened because eating disorders are these complex things sort of rooted in genetics. Um, So my eating disorder, it started my senior year. Um, I was starting to race more and more internationally. I was qualifying for um, world junior trips, you know, where this team of, you know, about seven or eight girls and seven or eight guys would go over and race internationally representing the U.S. And I would go on these trips and see, you know, older girls, you know, meticulously cutting every ounce of fat off of their meat or turning down dessert or not eating certain foods. And I was starting to see this and kind of go, should I be doing that? Am I doing this wrong? Like, why am I the only one drinking hot chocolate? Um, You know, like I would start having a little bit of self-doubt for the first time. Like, am I, should I be doing what they're doing? You know, like what, what am I, what am I doing? Is there something I don't know about nutrition? Um, And I started to sort of wonder if, you know, is it, you know, if I was lighter and leaner, would I be faster? And this sort of seed of doubt combined with my perfectionistic type A personality where everything I did, I wanted to do it 100%. Um, And so that sort of competitive perfectionistic streak, um, which made me good at sports, sort of took hold in the realm of eating and food. And um, it it's interesting when I sort of try to dissect, like, how did this start? When did it start exactly? It's tough because I think it sort of crept in. And it started off as me just trying to be light and lean for skiing. And then I started exercising outside of training. You know, I would eat dinner and then go for a run at night in the dark because I just wanted to train more. I just wanted to be lighter and leaner. And then I would start not eating certain foods that I thought were not, you know, quote, healthy enough. Um, And it just sort of, you know, this was at the, through my senior year of racing and into the spring, and it just sort of kept going um, 
gradually, you know, it, it sort of snuck up on me. And I didn't really realize at the time, like, this isn't normal. This is disordered eating. You know, even if I'm not um, in a place where I would say I had eating disorder, I'm using disordered eating. Um, and I, I just, it sort of crept up. And I think that, um, that was the scary part was I didn't really realize that I had crossed over the line until I actually made myself throw up for the first time shortly after graduating high school. And then it was sort of hit me in the face, like, okay, that's literally the definition of bulimia. Um, like I can't ignore this anymore. I think I need help, but I don't know. I'm really ashamed. Um, and what was hard for me, um, was the fact that at the time, nobody really talked about this, um, in the higher levels of like us racing. Like when I went, um, to us ski team camps, nobody talked about eating disorders. Um, nobody talked about, you know, how it could be, um, a slippery slope when you're looking to get light and lean and, and that it's okay to reach up for help and that there's no shame associated with it. It was just sort of this taboo topic the way it was most everywhere. And so when I started to realize that, okay, I think I have an eating disorder, I was so embarrassed. I was like, how, how could this happen to me? I'm just normal. I, you know, I don't understand what's happening. I'm so ashamed. Like, I don't want anyone to know. People are going to judge me. And so I didn't want to tell anyone. And I think if I had told people immediately, it would have been a faster road to recovery because I would have immediately gone into treatment. But I tried to not tell anyone um, until, of course, my parents found out because they're very perceptive and they love me. And they kind of went, something's not right. We need to sit and have a talk. From the time that you developed an eating disorder to the time your parents had that conversation with you, did any teammates or coaches or anyone in the skiing world recognize your disordered behaviors or say anything? Um, no, because it's so easy to hide it. Like it's, it's scarily easy to hide it. And uh, again, like my senior year of high school, it was just starting to take root. And so it was more of, um, you know, eating slightly less and less and less at meals, but you can't really tell because you're bundled up in the winter and all these ski clothes and you have layers under your race clothes. And, uh, you know, again, I was so in denial that anything was happening that, you know, I just was acting normal and I was still totally happy. You know, it was just starting to take root. It hadn't really taken over my life yet. So, I would say it, it wasn't obvious until after I'd graduated school um, and suddenly I had more time on my hands in the spring and that's sort of when it really started to snowball quickly um, and then it started to become more apparent and that's when my, my family started to realize, okay, something's not right here. You know, Jessie's not her usual self. She's not happy. She's disappearing after meals. What's happening? Do you remember what that conversation with your parents was like? Um, so <laughs> I've been trying to piece it back together, but I think it was a little bit of my mom saying like, hey, you know, like 
you don't have to go for an extra run. Like you're fast and you're strong and we think you're beautiful from the inside out. And just trying to kind of say like, you know, we love you for how you are and we hope that you love yourself um, and you don't need to do these things just because, you know, we're all trying to under, you know, everyone was trying to understand like, well, why does she feel like she needs to do this? Because at that point I'd been winning a lot of races. Skiing had been going very well. And so it was, you know, baffling to everyone, including myself, like, wait, why am I starting to self-implode here? Why am I starting to self-destruct when everything's going well? Um, And I think that also was masking the start of the eating disorder because I was winning races. I, you know, it looked like everything was totally fine. Um, And when my parents sat me down, I was in denial. It was sort of like, well, I might have, you know, thrown up once or twice, but, you know, I don't have a problem. Like, I don't have an eating disorder. That sort of thing happens to other people, not me. I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm the person who gets straight A's in school. I succeed in sports. Like, I will succeed in being healthy too. Like, I'm fine. And I was just completely in denial because I was so embarrassed that this was starting to happen that I, I really didn't want to talk about it. And this is the part that, Um, is really kind of scary and sad to admit, but I, and it's hard to talk about, but I was always a really good kid. Like I never even had a curfew set. I never lied. And for the first time in my life, I started to tell lies about my health because I was so ashamed and didn't want help. And the eating disorder that was starting to sort of take, take root inside my head was telling me like, you don't want help because you need me, your eating disorder, to make sure that you stay lean for sports. And you need me to feel like you have control and that you're perfect. And so you need to tell your parents that you're fine and you have it under control. And so I would pretty much say whatever I thought they wanted to hear in order for me to go about life as I was going about it, which is to say that I would have a normal meal and then throw it up. And I think that that was for me, what was really sad and scary was that, you know, this good girl who had never lied in her life was suddenly willing to tell a lie to her mom in order to, you know, continue living with this eating disorder. And that was, yeah, I think that was really scary because again, I had never lied. So at first my parents totally believed me when I said I was fine. They were like, all right, if you say you're fine, then why wouldn't we trust you? So I think that that also helped it, um, helped it progress because I had never been untrustworthy before. And so it was sort of a shock when they realized like, oh my gosh, she isn't fine. What was treatment like for you? Man, treatment was hard because I had to um, sort of dig deep and into my emotions and realize that my eating disorder really wasn't about food at all. I mean, on the outside, it was. It was about food and being light and lean for ski racing, but really, it was about having control and And really deep down, it was about me being so scared to not be perfect at something that I was scared to give up this, you know, iron grip on food that I had because I felt like it was the one thing I could control. Because suddenly 
you know, I wasn't in school. I had all this time to focus on ski racing. I was trying so hard to be the best that I could be and to be perfect. And I thought that, you know, by just controlling everything that I ate and everything about my body, that was the one thing I had. And so realizing that you don't need to have control all the time and you don't have to be perfect. That was really scary for me and and sort of prying loose my my grip on perfection and letting it go and trusting that I was going to be good enough the way I was and I was worthy of love just the way I was. That was really scary. And so treatment was hard. There were a lot of tears as I sort of peeled back the onion layers of um emotionally what was happening with my eating disorder. Um, there were a lot of, you know, days when I would just come home from treatment where I was in a group of girls who were all struggling to get better from an eating disorder. And I would just come home and cry because of the stories I'd heard. And because I had all this empathy and emotion for them as well as myself. And so it was, you know, the most important thing I've ever done because it saved my life, but it wasn't easy. You shared your eating disorder recovery story with ESPN for their body issue, and then you partnered with us at the EMILY program and continued to share your story. What made you okay being so open about your history with an eating disorder? And was it always easy to be that open about it? Um, You know, that's a great question because at first I really didn't want to share with anyone because I had still felt like there was this stigma around eating disorders and I felt some shame that I had ever had one and and not really shame that I had an eating disorder so much as shame that I had abused my body as much as I had. Um, Because now that, you know, when you're healthy, you sort of think, well, how could anyone do that? And, you know, there's this sort of, you hear all the time people say, oh my God, just eat a burger, you know? (laughs) And so I was worried that if I shared my story, people would say that about me. And I was worried that, Um, people would judge me and that people would look at me differently on the world cup. Like if I, if I lost weight due to the stress around the Olympics, that people would say, Oh my gosh, is she back in her eating disorder? And that they would speculate about me. Um, when you're suddenly more in the public eye with media, um, your life is less personal and less private all of a sudden. But you know, as I um, I committed to doing the ESPN body issue and I sort of thought about it and I was like, well, I decided I wanted to do this um, as a way of celebrating how far I've come. Because at that point in my life when I had an eating disorder, I didn't even want to ever catch a glimpse of myself naked in the mirror, much less let my boyfriend or anybody see me because I hated myself. I didn't love myself at all. And, you know, about 10 years later, here I was like confident in my skin saying, yeah, I train really hard to have these muscles. And this is what the body of an Olympic athlete looks like. And I'm okay with that. Like I'm fine with how I look because I work hard to look exactly the way I do. And I'm okay if somebody sees me. And that return of my confidence and my love for myself, no matter who likes me or doesn't, Um, I wanted to celebrate that. And so I thought, you know what, like maybe using ESPN's very broad broad platform would be a great way to sort of reach out and tell my story. And 
the other reason I wanted to share was after, you know, we got the gold medal at the Olympics, it was, um, it was confidence building in that I sort of felt like, okay, you know what? I'm able to share this story and maybe people won't judge me. And that's maybe silly that I had to finally get a medal to be able to tell the story, but it definitely gave me the confidence that no one was going to criticize me because I thought, you know, well, what are they going to say? Like, oh, your body doesn't look like one that can win the Olympics. It's like, well, we did. So, um, (laughs) so there, um, but the other thing I realized was that after the Olympics, I had such a large platform and I was like, I have to do something that actually matters with this. You know, I can't just use this only for endorsements and sponsors and social media. I need to do something that actually matters. And I have a chance right now. And yeah. And then I sort of started partnering with the Emily program. And that's been just the most incredible experience because I feel like they are making a huge difference. I know they are because they saved my life, but the amount of people that they're able to reach and help has been overwhelming. And it's been so cool to just be this tiny little part of that. Well, we're really lucky to have you all just say that. (laughs) So you talked about folks reaching out to you after you came out with your story. What advice do you typically give both coaches of sports and athletes who are struggling? Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess I would start with the athletes, um, because that's the side of the story that I'm most intimately familiar with. Um, but for athletes, I guess I would say that in the moment when you're in the grip of an eating disorder, it's important to realize that your world as you see it is completely distorted through the lenses of your eating disorder. It's as though you're wearing like drunk glasses. You don't see things clearly and you definitely don't see yourself clearly. And when I had my eating disorder, I thought I was seeing clearly. You know, I thought that not keeping down my food was going to be a totally viable path to success on the World Cup. And I thought that, you know, I can just live with this. This is totally sustainable. It's going to be how I get through training and stay totally skinny. And in reality, you know, it was destroying my body. I looked, you know, some at points I looked ill because I was popping blood vessels in my eyes, but at points I looked totally normal and, you know, you, you would have never guessed. Um, and, and I thought that this was totally fine. And so I guess to athletes, I would say that, even though it feels like this is something you can get away with and this is something you can do, trust me, it's not. Because as soon as you are recovered, you're going to look back at that time in your life and think, oh my God, I'm so glad I got out of that. I'm so glad I got out of that situation because it was destroying me and I couldn't see it in the moment. And so I guess having the trust and the faith that people who are helping you in recovery have your best interest in heart. They're not out to sabotage you or make you get fat. They're there to help you and to save your life and to trust that once you get healthy, those sort of eating disorder goggles are coming off and you're going to actually be able to see clearly that, oh my gosh, like I'm so much better off as a healthy human being. Just trust that, um, that it's going to be worth it. And for the coaches, I would say 
You know, I know there's a lot of coaches who are terrified of bringing up the subject because they don't want to say the wrong thing. And that's, you know, that's totally valid. Um, but it's so much better to sit an athlete down and say, hey, how how are things going? Are you feeling stressed? Are you happy? What's going on in your life? You know, just giving them the chance to open up and to tell you if something's wrong, that is so worth it because, you know, saying something is better than thinking, you know what, they they look kind of ill or they're being strange. They're not like themselves. You know, trust your gut. You know if something's wrong. And that's so much better than just not saying anything at all. We posted on the Emily Program social media that you were joining us for a podcast episode, and we asked if folks had any questions they wanted us to ask you, which of course they did. So I have three listener questions for you. Our first listener writes, I have a question for Jessie. I'm wondering if she thinks she'd still be okay with her body and her eating disorder thoughts and issues would remain mostly at bay if her body were to change from its current Olympian state to quote-unquote normal. I ask this because as someone who's 10 plus years into recovery, I've just for the first time decided to stop exercising and monitoring my diet closely and to let my body do what it wants to do. This is terrifying and hard. I've been incredibly fit for much of the last 10 years due to lots of hot yoga and other extreme exercise and diet rituals, and I'm really struggling with it. And I'm getting help from my therapist. However, it's hard to go from athletic and muscular to soft and normal. I'm wondering what Jessie's thoughts on this are and if she has any go-to practices or sayings that she tells herself when she feels this way. Thank you. Yeah, well, um, to our listeners, thank you for writing in with your question. And that's really awesome and brave of you to get help from your therapist when you're struggling with it. I think that's so smart. Um, And that is a really, really awesome question because – you know, first of all, I don't entirely know the answer because I'm still competing at the moment. I have a micro answer for you because every spring for the month of April, I stop training and I challenge myself to take a week or two weeks of doing absolutely no exercise at all. Nothing that counts as training. Um, I do this because I want to make sure that I don't get injured or mentally burned out or overtrained in any way and let my body just recover from the year of competition and travel. Um, And it's really interesting. In that week, I sleep like 10 hours every night because my body is just soaking up all this rest and recovery. And what's interesting is that I don't train, but I don't immediately just gain all this weight. My appetite naturally shifts. When I let, you know, myself eat what I'm, you know, when I'm hungry, I eat. And when I'm full, I stop trying to just listen to my body cues. I notice that I shift from, you know, eating as much or more than my boyfriend because I'm training all the time to, you know, I eat less because I just notice, oh, I'm full because my body isn't craving more because I I don't have as many um, energy demands coming at it. And I just noticed that, you know, I definitely do get softer and um, I I like to embrace that part, you know, like, Hey, I'm just, you know, I'm going to dress up in this cute outfit and just walk around Boston because this is what I'm doing in, in the spring. And then when it's time to train, I know that I can get back in shape 
it when I'm ready. But it is it is kind of cool to just say like, hey, here's where my body wants to be at. Here's where its set point is. This is where my body wants to be. And it's surprising to see that it's not so far from where I am when I'm when I'm training and making sure that I'm still fueling myself normally. Um, I've also talked to teammates who have retired and said that, yeah, it's really interesting. Like, you know, they noticed a few of my teammates said they noticed that when they were competing, they weren't fueling themselves enough because when they retired, their body went finally okay, I can go back to where I want to be now. And they were, you know, their body sort of filled out where it was, you know, needing to fill out um, in order for them to have kids or, you know, um, just, yeah, feel like their, their hair and nails and skin was healthy again. And so I think that for them it was a very good thing. Um, but I think that, you know, I hope that someday when I retire and, you know, I'm just, you know, my workouts change from training to, you know, someday helping my kid learn how to ride a bicycle. Um, I hope that I'm able to just listen to my body's cues and let it be where it wants to be because that's where I'm going to be healthy and able to just live happily and, and feel strong and healthy. Love that. Our second listener writes, Jesse, how did your inner self-talk or inner monologue change throughout your recovery? What mantras were useful for you? That's an awesome question. Um, and I definitely needed the self-pep talks every day, sometimes every hour. Um, and when I started recovery, the self-pep talks were mostly like, okay, I can do this. I deserve to be here. I, you know, I deserve to be in recovery because at that time in my life, sadly, there was a lot of, you know, self-loathing. I didn't like myself. My eating disorder was trying to convince me as though it was this nasty little, you know, the bad shoulder angel whispering in my ear, like, you don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve help. You, you know, you shouldn't even be here. You're worthless. And I had to sort of fight back and say, no, I'm worth it. I deserve to be getting help. Like, I deserve to be healthy. And I sort of had to battle that, you know, sometimes all day long. It was absolutely exhausting, um, but it was definitely worth it. And as I got further into my recovery, the thoughts sort of shifted to, okay, like, you know, what am I really feeling right now? Trying to get back in tune with myself because I've been blocking out my emotions um, and my natural ability to cope with stress by just automatically switching to my eating disorder. So as I got further along, it changed to, let me just take a few deep breaths and try to interpret, you know, what am I feeling? When I am asked, you know, hey, for lunch we're having hamburgers and I start to panic, why am I panicking? And so it turned, the mantra turned into, why do I feel this way and what is the emotion? Can I name it? And it was, it helped me to see it as though I was like a detective trying to help somebody else. Because again, sometimes I didn't feel like I was worthy of the help. So if I was pretending it was my little sister's life I was saving, I would say, okay, why would, why, what is this emotion and what can we do about it? How do we, how do we get into a better state? And then, you know, like today it's more like, you know, if I encounter stress 
or, you know, something that is, you know, um, a definitely stressful situation, like going into the world championships or getting ready for a race. And I'm, you know, I'm stressed or I, I'm doubting myself. Then the question becomes, you know, or the mantra becomes, I am enough. I'm worth it. I'm awesome the way I am. And if I'm stressed, what do I want to do about it? You know, eating disorder is not an option. So what can I do to diffuse this stress? Should I write a postcard and send it to someone to feel good? Um, Should I go for a walk? Should I ask a teammate if they want to play a game of cards? Um, Should I watch a TV show that I know will make me laugh? And that'll, you know, change the emotion of the moment. And so it turns into, you know, what other tools can I use from my toolbox? Our third and final listener question is, as you worked through your recovery, did you ever experience a sense of loss for your eating disorder? If so, how did you deal with this? Oh, that's a really insightful question because it is really interesting. Um, So a lot of people, in order to understand the eating disorder, um, they imagine it as though it's an abusive relationship and the eating disorder is, you know, your partner. And they are hurting you, but you feel like you can't get out of the relationship. You feel like you you need them or you feel like you deserve this for some reason. Um, and so when you finally say, say like, hey, I'm divorcing my eating disorder. I don't need this. I deserve better. I'm taking care of myself. I'm getting out of this toxic relationship. There is sometimes this sense of loss, like, oh my gosh, I'm on my own. Like, how am I going to cope with stress without my eating disorder? How am I going to get through my day without this eating disorder that I've had by my side? You know, sometimes it's been a year that you've had the eating disorder or multiple years. And so there is sometimes this sense of like, whoa, this is scary. I'm on my own now. Um, And I definitely did feel that. I would have times, you know, when I was early on in my recovery where something really stressful would happen and I would feel like, oh my God, what do I do now? I I know I shouldn't turn back to my eating disorder, but what am I supposed to do without it? How do I deal with this emotion? I would much rather let my eating disorder deal with the problem and block the emotion for me. Um, And so I think it was just this constant battling against that desire to go back to that toxic relationship with my eating disorder and saying, no, I do deserve better. I deserve to be healthy. Let's do something else instead of using my eating disorder symptoms. I love all of those answers. Thank you so much for sharing them with us. No problem. It's my pleasure. Can you tell us what's on tap for this year for you? Yes. Um, So right now the training season just started up and it's been really, really fun. Um, I sat down with my coach and made new goals and new areas to focus on for the year. And it's this time of year that's so full of promise and hope. And it's, you know, setting new intentions for the year. What am I going after? How can I improve? Um, In many ways, not unlike recovery from an eating disorder. You know, you have hope for the future and you're setting a roadmap to get there. Um, and so now I'm going off to training camp soon, meeting up with my team 
And then in November, I will fly over to Europe for the World Cup season. And so we have a full season of races in different countries all over, you know, Scandinavia and Europe. And then I will get to come back and race in Minneapolis on March 17th, 2020, St. Patty's Day. And that is going to be the absolute highlight of my year, getting to race in the U.S. at a World Cup for the first time um, in my entire career. And getting a chance to race in front of a hometown crowd, that's going to be really cool. So that's what I'm looking forward to this year. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on this episode with us, Jesse. Yeah, thanks for having me. Here at the EMILY program, we believe that having open and honest discussions about eating disorders will destigmatize the illness and make recovery more accessible. If you enjoyed this episode of Piecemeal, please share it with your friends, rate, review, or subscribe. As always, we believe in each and every one of you, and we know that recovery is possible.